Edmonton's playing catch-up in SmartFair implementation. This week, Edmonton launches SmartFair for really real this time. Plus, the Grandin LRT station, at least name-wise, is no more. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 133, where... It's Thursday evening, and just before we're recording, my phone is blowing up. So I just want to let you all know that are letting me know about this. Yes, I have heard about the sanction hearing. No, we're not going to talk about it this episode. It's coming up on the 22nd. You'll find out when you find out. But spoiler alert, Mike Nickel might have used city resources for his campaign, which is a major no-no. Drama. Shocking. Less shocking and more burning is the rapid fire segment. Randy Gregg, the managing director of Edmonton's new baseball team, the Riverhawks, announced this week that with the delayed start to the baseball season due to COVID-19, Remax Field is getting some much needed upgrades like an LED scoreboard and new turf. Speaking to the media, Randy Gregg said, quote, I won't make it good, but I will make it better, end quote. That is a real quote. We didn't make that up. Full of the optimism that only a former oiler could muster. Initially a stampede, declining first dose demand now impedes Kenny's Calgary stampede plans and stamps out his optimism, leaving Kenny peeved. The province has now rubber stamped a plan to amp up the messaging and increase speed, but it's not likely to be a plan that stands to please. Data from the City of Edmonton mosquito traps has indicated that Edmonton is experiencing lower mosquito activity this spring than it has in the past five years. The city, through its media people, have very kindly pointed to many factors, like a very dry winter and spring compounded with some cooler temperatures that could be the cause of the decline. While that explanation has a nice bow on it, it's unfortunately just a platitude to preserve your feelings. The real problem is that you are what you eat. And there's not a mosquito in the city that wants to bite you after the trash home cooking you've been eating this past year since restaurants closed. Even to a mosquito, that's unappetizing. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. And this week, we're brought to you by Rumi by Atco. With warmer weather comes yard work and lots of it. Prune your trees and shrubs, clean your eaves troughs, replace those drafty windows you noticed over the winter. or just thought you can call Rumi to take care of all of your outdoor and indoor spring home maintenance while you fire up the BBQ and relax. Visit Rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, or call with a telephone 1-844-777-7864. That's 1-844-777-7864. one 7864 and let Rumi's trusted local experts take care of your yard. So all you have to do is enjoy it. one 844 I take it you've seen some late night television. I see an ad and it's the ShamWow. It's, what was his name? The guy who unfortunately died, who shouted at us all the name. time? I can't remember Billy Mays. Name. Billy Mays, yes. Billy Mays here telling you about OxyClean. Ah, the childhood. Only 90s kids who are now vaccinated get these. It's true. Uh, So we hate to be that podcast that starts off with banter. So let's get into the topics. Um, This week, we had some important, really long overdue updates. And honestly, I'd say something that happened a lot faster. The Grand and LRT station, 
is no longer the Grandin LRT station. It's the government center LRT station. And there's no weird, pretty offensive residential school mural. It's now just a big slab of orange. Yeah, this motion came up on Monday. The mayor last week indicated that he would be tabling this motion. It follows, of course, um, the discovery of the remains of 250 children at the residential school in Kamloops. Very quick action, unanimous approval of this motion to remove the reference to Grandin on the station and signage as soon as possible, as well as the audible announcements that you hear there. And then to cover that mural with orange at the earliest opportunity. And I think it was Tuesday morning, essentially, uh, that that was done. So that change has taken effect immediately. And now the next step is for the naming committee which is a council committee to work with the Grandin Working Circle on next steps for the mural and as well as recommendations on what to name the station. It was a pretty fortuitous turn of events that like the LRT announcements are Grandin Station, Government Center, because you can just say Government Center. Yeah. This fix is not, like you said, the permanent fix, however. This is a temporary sort of band-aid motion to just let's stop inflicting trauma currently. Mm -hmm. The actual decisions are being deferred to the working circle. Yeah, that's right. And we'll expect to see the recommendations back. And the working circle includes Indigenous and Francophone community leaders, and and they've been asked to come forward with these recommended names. And, And the point is to have it contribute to reconciliation. And they're not the only people that are looking to contribute towards reconciliation and finding a new name. The Oliver Community League, and this was really fascinating to me, last year they had the Uncover Oliver campaign that basically outlined why Oliver was a trash human. But now they've announced that they have a $45,000 budget, largely funded by city grants, to hire a consultant to help lead community consultations to find a new name for the Community League. Yeah, and it's really interesting to mention this in the context of the Grandin Station, because a lot of people think about that area around that station as being the neighborhood of Grandin. It's not. There's no Grandin neighborhood. It's just a part of Oliver. So even if we stopped referring to that area as Grandin, the parent neighborhood isn't any better. And so, I mean, OCL has been working on this for a while. This public announcement around hiring a consultant, they say, caps off more than a year of behind-the-scenes work. So they're quite keen to come up with a new name for the neighborhood. Um, I really like what the uh, the president of the Community League, uh, Robin Patches, said, which is that, you know, we are opposed to the name. However, we are just a board of 15 volunteers. So they can't make the decision themselves. They want to engage the community to, to do that. The Oliver Community League can change their name if they want to. They're a nonprofit society. But it would be intensely stupid to have a community league not named after the community that they're in. Right. They can't just have a different name. And so they really just have to rename the community in order to tolerate their own name. I find it interesting that the Community League has come up with this budget and doing this consultation. It reminds me a lot of how we got the downtown bike grid built. Mm -hmm. You know, we stalled out for years and years on building more bike infrastructure. And then Stantec said, ah, we'll come up with all the consulting money. We'll do the hard work and just pass it off to city council. And city council is like, great, build it. Right. I think because it is an organization of dedicated volunteers, you might get a little faster result than if the city itself was organizing this consultation. Why do I say something like that? Could it be because of historical evidence of being disappointed again and again with the delayed release of Smart Fair in the city of Edmonton? It might be, but I can no longer use that as an excuse going forward because it's really real now. 
Well, almost real. I guess it's <laughs> I guess it's real. I signed up today to uh, be in the pilot test project for this summer. I don't know if I'll get accepted, but you have my information, City of Edmonton. This week, the city announced that the brand for Smartfair will be ARC, A-R-C, and that the pilot will start this summer. It's going to be in a couple of phases. The first is going to be adult regular fare users and post-secondary students who use the U-Pass, so they'll get to test it out first. And if all goes well, they will continue rolling it out, and sometime next year in 2022, Smartfair will be actually really real. We now have at least one LRT station with tap-on, tap-off installations and a machine that takes credit card payment. That is a really real thing that is installed in at least one station and should be installed in all of them. Absolutely. That's amazing. Um, You know, maybe we're joining the year 2005, but hey, it was an exciting time in my life. I was enjoying my teen years at that point in time, so... I'm happy to rejoin 2005 for a little bit. <laughs> what do you think about the name, Troy? ARC. Uh, Carrie Houghton McDonald in the news release, the branch manager of ETS, who we've had on the show before, says that it, it symbolizes forging a path between two points, much like how transit connects us to vital services, each other, and our region. I know it's spelt A-R-C and not A-R-K, but I'm going to tell you that my group chats were full of innuendo about using the transit surface to repopulate Uh, (laughs) (laughs) different kind of arc yeah (laughs) i I understand why because in the context of everywhere in the world everywhere seems to have these cutesy names for their smart fare system and they're synonymous right like oyster in london like people just know that right the oyster card why don't we just call it paying for transit on edmonton transit service why do we need to rebrand the payment medium. That's something that I just don't get the infatuation with globally. Uh, well, I'll tell you why I think they did it. Because then they get to say that if you use an ARC card, which is the thing I hate about the name, isn't it awkward to say ARC card? Like, that is really a mouthful that I'm not sure I really enjoy. Anyway, if you use the ARC card, you get to access its unique, unique product features, like <laughs> auto top-up and uh, the cap and uh, the ability to fill it up online, you know, things that other transit systems have had since 2005, as you said. I don't know how they can, with a straight face, call those unique product features. Well, and it's not like we've built this system in Edmonton. It's not like we had some city staff and they're like, you know what, I got a really good idea. Let's do SmartFare. <laughs> right. And they developed technology. We, we contracted this out. Yeah, we contracted a company called Vix Technology. Uh, In 2017 is when we signed that contract. So it really has been years in the making. The good thing about that, of course, uh, the good thing about not building it ourselves this time is that we do get to take advantage of all of the things that fixed technology has built into their system. And so one of the things I was really curious about was contactless payments. And what I mean by that is I don't want to have to carry another card. I already carry my phone and I can tap it on for basically anywhere. I want to be able to use that when I'm on the transit system. And that will be coming, not initially, not in the first couple of phases of the pilot, but it is something that will be supported. And that's because, I think anyway, that's because we've contracted this other technology provider who's already built all of that capability. We had also reached out with some more questions and because, you know, your credit card itself is also contactless, you can tap to pay. Yeah. That's not coming out in the first phase. It's going to be with mobile device payments in the last phase, but it'll be the same thing. You can just use your credit card, tap on, tap off, and it'll stop billing your credit card after you reach your threshold of payment, which is cool. Yeah. It's also something that is very 
you know, active and has been for a couple of years in other jurisdictions. Like it's not like this is a brand new, you know, first adopter kind of technology. So on the one hand, I'm like really thrilled that we're finally seeing SmartFair. And on the other hand, it's like, it's going to be still a couple of years before it's actually even equivalent to what other, other places have had for years already. I got to say, this is going to be a huge boon for the tourists at Edmonton who previously could only figure out our archaic system using cash in specific medium. And now they can just jump off the plane and tap a credit card and go wherever they want. That that will be cool. Definitely. In my search for truth, as you know, is my modus operandi on this podcast, I serve you, dear listener, I investigated some of the truths. And I'm a former U of A staff member. So I know that like, I get a ride from South Campus to Nate on the LRT only mm-hmm. for free as part of the U of A staff agreement. I didn't hear anything in their announcements about only buses or only LRT and only between specific stations. So I reached out to Carrie Houghton McDonald, actual friend of the podcast, not a joke, this one. Um, and she got back to me with a result. And I'm going to preface this response with a big apology to all members of U of A staff because. Well, well, sorry, you'll hear it. Uh, Carrie says, my team said that the agreement, the one with the U of A staff, was suspended about a year ago, so it's not active. As such, there are no plans for how it would work with SmartFare. It sounds like it was mutually agreed to read the suspension and that there was no immediate plans to resume the agreement. So all of you U of A staff members who have been riding the LRT free for the past nine, 10 months, as I know you have been, you are illegal fare evaders. Please report to the Edmonton Police Service and check yourself in for booking. <laughs> it sounds like something that could be easily rectified, yes. presumably. And and because of the uh, smart in the smart fare, I suppose it would be relatively straightforward to create a system or an account or, or you know a, something on the card that recognizes that these are U of A staff and it only works in certain places, potentially. Yeah, and she said, you know, were the agreement to resume, there would be ways to have staff members tap on, tap off. And she compared it to the PATH program. That's all caps, PATH. It's another one of the cutesy names for smart card programs. Mm. So, you know, it's not an unsolvable problem, but it really goes to show how many weird edge cases there are with something like this. You know, it's not just adult fairs, people get on the bus. There's all these weird agreements and certain integrations with so many organizations across the city. It'll be nice that this is all integrated into smart card system. I don't envy the people integrating it. It seems like a complex task. And that's just within the city. This is also going to be used as fair payment on other transit agencies from Beaumont, Fort Saskatchewan, St. Albert, like they'll all use our cards as well. St. Albert buses already have, at least many of them, have the tap-on system already installed on their buses. I've seen a few of them on STAT buses. I'm not sure if Strathcona County is going to be accepting ARC cards because they didn't join the RTSC. According to the news release, they are. Okay. Seems like they could just join the RTSC if they're already... That would seem sensible. Yeah. Speaking of sensible, sometimes we make sensible investments in our region. We've talked long about Don Iveson's uh, regional planning. And in fact, we've seen some opinion pieces this week saying that, you know, the next mayor is going to have to take Don Iveson's regional approach in order to be successful in the city. So this week, there was some news about attracting more direct flights to the region. And apparently, giving $10 million to the EIA will do that. 
I guess so. Uh, <laughs> the city and Edmonton Global are partnering on this. They're wanting to establish what they're calling an Air Services Opportunity Fund. This is a $15 million fund that would support the international airport, which, as you know, has struggled pretty mightily throughout the pandemic, of course. I mean, airports everywhere have been pretty hard hit, especially when it comes to passenger service. And then in Canada, if you weren't one of the four, and Edmonton wasn't one of them, uh, it's been even worse. So they want to use this Air Services Opportunity Fund to try to attract flights to build back better, as we often say these days. And council voted 11 to 2 to contribute to the fund over the next three years. So just under $10 million is going to come from the city. The remaining $5 million they're going to seek from other municipalities in the region, the other partners in Edmonton Global. Uh, The two votes against... Nickel and Zadik. I don't want to disparage them too much because if I'm being honest, I don't get what this motion actually gets us. And, you know, this could be one of those things where Edmund knows best. They've got all their fingers in different pots and it's just like, just give us $10 million and we'll fix everything. Maybe, but I don't know. Air Canada's already got federal barrel oats for, you know, hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. I don't think our pittance 10 million is going to get them to re-add some direct flights to San Francisco. No, I don't think so either. I don't understand what this is going to do. Uh, Deputy City Manager Stephanie McCabe said that the funds will um, be used to compete for new routes through incentives and other supports and to attract airlines who will agree to bring new international routes to Edmonton. So, I mean, are there a bunch of airlines out there just looking for a place to go if only the city council in that community gave them a couple million dollars? I don't think that's how this works. I think what was interesting about the debate around this or lack of debate, I suppose, around this was that, you know, the mayor kind of played the fear card on this or the Battle of Alberta competition card. You know, he talked about if we don't protect the airport's competitiveness, that air service will consolidate in Calgary. I mean, newsflash, that's already happened for the most part right? I mean, if you want to go anywhere, you're likely going through Calgary. The other quote he had that I just thought was hilarious, he said, quote, if we lose our airport's international connectivity, we might as well be a suburb of Calgary. Keep up our sprawling agenda and we'll legitimately be a (laughs) suburb of Calgary. (laughs) Uh, I just thought it was a really fascinating uh, take from him on this. I mean, I don't disagree that having international flights out of Edmonton is good and it would be better to have more of them. But the reality is we already play second fiddle to Calgary and $15 $15 million is not, you know, a huge amount of money. It's not a tiny amount of money, but it's not materially going to change that. I mean, one time when I was taking a flight, I was driving down there because it was cheaper than taking a cab and the bus didn't run at that time and night. Great connectivity, by the way. That's not a regional problem at all. But I was determining which parking lot I wanted to park in. And one of them offered a free cookies by George if I parked in that parking lot. Yep. So maybe this is a lot like that. It's just, you know, they're investing $10 million in everyone on this Air Canada flight gets a cookies by George if they land at EIA from a direct route. I'm actually on board with that. I do make sure to use that ticket and get those cookies when I'm at the airport if I park. So that's a good point. I'd forgotten all about that, Troy. (laughs) Yeah, well, we haven't flown in several decades, it feels like. True. So we've got $10 million earmarked for the EIA. City Council also doled out $3.7 million in the supplementary capital budget adjustment this week, uh, funding design work for the Rolly Miles Leisure Center, which we've talked about on this podcast before, but it's the one that would replace Scona Pool, which City Council has been trying to close for, it seems, as long as City Council has existed. 
Yeah, this will fund design work on the new Leisure Center. The only person to vote against it was Mike Nickel, but I think that was just because he voted against everything related to the budget, as he often does. So that is the one amendment that they approved. Um, aside from that, the administration report included $65.5 million of an increase to the approved capital budget. And some of that is for budget overruns, some of that is for some new projects, uh, and some of that is for expanded funding for existing projects. And one of the other things they did just on our little uh, train of thought here around transit is they decided to spend almost $1.3 million to buy two hydrogen buses to test out as part of the fleet. So, I mean, there weren't a huge number of changes in the uh, capital budget adjustment. The big one, I think, was that Raleigh Miles, $3.7 million. You know, this is a pretty exciting, if small, change because we had talked about in the past, city council in almost every tight budget cycle, they'll go for the community rec centers as the low-hanging fruit. You know, we can save a bit by closing Scona Pool. We can close Oliver Pool, these small neighborhood recreation facilities. And of course, this really doesn't align with city plan. It doesn't align with 15-minute neighborhoods, all sorts of ideas like that. So perhaps finally funding Rolly Miles after 10 years that this and the Friends of Scona Rec has been championing for this. Maybe it signals that in the next budget cycle, it's going to be a new leaf and we're not going to have to fight to keep these neighborhood pools open. I guess only time will tell on that. It's interesting to me too that they decided to do that because the only reason I think they were able to do that is because of you know some of the positive things that have happened since the fall capital budget adjustment. So back in the fall, the account that we used for this kind of stuff was in deficit had a negative $7.8 million balance. And now it's got a positive $64 million balance. And the report had a whole bunch of things that they agreed to spend it on. But there was about $20 million that administration said, we should save this because we don't know yet all of the things that have gone on with COVID-19 and other budget, you know, things that might come up and future challenges, we should save it. There's a hundred projects, more than a hundred projects on the unfunded projects list. I mean, council could easily spend all 20 million. I gather that they decided that this was important enough to move forward while not spending that full amount. So maybe that does lend a little bit of support to your idea that we might see something different on rec centers going forward. We'll only be able to continue watching this stuff because news media is important. Taproot helps do some of the research and the reporting for this podcast. The local news media was a pretty big point of contention this week with Ben Henderson and Scott McKean moving a unanimously carried motion about supporting the news media. And it blew your socks off, right, Mac? Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if I would call it contentious. This was the motion that immediately followed the Grandin Station one. And it was one of those ones, you know, if you've ever listened to city council, they had to do like a big, intense discussion like that. And then the next thing is they just want to get it all done and move on, you know? And and that's what this motion was like. So this motion is really just a recognition from city council that a healthy professional news media is essential to the proper functioning of democracy in our city. And this is a motion that has been made by municipalities all across the country now. Um, it's part of an FCM, and I take I gather News Media Canada campaign to highlight the importance of local media. And it blew my socks off, Troy. I'm very happy that City Council is on the record saying that uh, local news and news media is really important 
that shouldn't really have been a question, but I suppose now it's official. But I'm not sure that writing a letter to the federal government, encouraging them to go forward with their plan that is severely flawed, is actually the way to do anything about this. What would be a way to do something about this, Mac? Well, in the show notes, you'll find the blog post that my co-founder, Karen Unland, wrote uh, all about this. Uh, Very simply, city council has the ability and the city of Edmonton has the ability to spend money on advertising, and they do that. They spend millions of dollars on advertising, post media and other organizations. If they're really concerned about the future of news media, they could spend some of that money on local news media organizations like Taproot, for instance. We no longer are required to purchase advertising for bylaws and things like that. We don't have to do legally required ads anymore. So they could take that same budget, but continue to spend it on local news and reap the benefits of what what could happen as a result of that. New York City has done this quite intentionally through the pandemic. They've taken their some of their budget and they've uh, spent it specifically on media in the city that were, you know, not near the top of their list for uh, places to spend money prior to the pandemic. And it's made a real impact and, and it's helped spread the local community investment to these other news organizations that support and connect the community. So there's an opportunity to do that here. You think they'll do it? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm guessing council's not going to make a decision like that, right? It'll be up to administration. And uh, administration, I suppose, now might feel a little more emboldened to go ahead and do something because of this motion, right? Council's kind of given some direction, and it, it makes maybe administration feel a little more comfortable about spreading the love around a little bit. I'm not suggesting, by the way, just to be clear, that they should just spend money willy-nilly. They should spend it on legitimate organizations and actually, you know, where they get something for their advertising. You know, I'm not saying that they should just give it away for free. They should spend it intentionally. But there are other places that they could spend it. You sure that debt servicing foreign billionaires isn't a good intentional use of that money? I'm pretty sure that money would be better spent here than in hedge funds in the United States. Yes. The city isn't the only thing that gets things from local media. You, dear listener, get something every week from this podcast, I I hope. If you don't and you're still subscribed, I have questions for you. I did get a tweet uh, just last week that uh, said, your podcast is fine. A little bit hurtful. but (laughs) ringing endorsement from that. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit hurtful, um, but still listens, so... Keep inflating those download stats, dear listener. One of the services that we're providing in the upcoming election season, we talked about it last week, is a municipal election rundown. The sort of top items from the municipal election that uh, Taproot thinks you should hear about. And I figure, you know, we got a couple minutes at the end. Let's do a quick run through and give some uh, what happened and some hot takes. Let's do it. So the first thing that happened is candidate Michael Oshry, who gotta say is really running bereft of retweets these days for that website and that initial presence launch he has not been following it up with any excitement in this campaign (laughs) but he's hoping to rectify that this week with a new policy proposal that city-owned recreation centers should be available at no cost between 3 30 and 5 30 p.m for anyone younger than 18 and they would bus students from schools the 100 highest need schools in the city to the closest rec center so This is a proposal essentially to make out-of-school care free for people who need it. And, you know, I started the uh, topic off lambasting and mocking Michael Oshry. It's not a bad policy, if I'm being honest. Like, we have these recreation facilities open. It's not peak hours between 3.30 and 5.30 
people come in the evenings or in the daytime. Like, this seems like a good idea. This seems like it could be a cool idea. Actually implementing it, how much it would cost, and should the city really be the one funding childcare? I, those questions are a little bit in limbo for me. Yeah, agreed. And especially, I think, coming from Michael Oshry, the sort of fiscal businessman and who has Michael Walters on his campaign staff, who has long lambasted the province for not doing their fair share. This seems like they're jumping back into provincial and federal responsibilities. So, you know, mixed bag, but cool policy. Uh, Just a quick follow up. Is that a fact? Michael Walters on the staff? Michael Walters, if you follow him on Twitter, is carrying water for uh, Michael Oshry. I can't remember what his official role is with the Michael Oshry campaign, but it is an official role. Noted. Um, It's not campaign manager, but it's issues manager equivalent. Got it. Okay. Welcome to the Edit Bay fact-checking what I just said. A Keith Dryan column says Michael Walters is, quote, serving as one of the coordinators of Oshry's campaign, end quote. So there you have it. Right again. Uh, another issue that came up this week was some polling that CBC has done. They've started to do some of this uh, surveying of people about what's important, and they found that addressing homelessness is essential to a mayoral platform. Out of 900 participants in the survey, 80% voted the concern highly important. They also indicated systemic racism is important for candidates to address. And I'm guessing this is where the hot take comes in. Road maintenance is more critical to voters than the expansion of bike lanes. Shocking that you issue a survey and something that a small minority of people care about registers as less important than something that a majority care about. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) Yeah, mind blown for sure. Edmonton Public Schools also officially requested a rewrite of the draft K-6 curriculum, citing mistakes and a lack of diverse perspectives, which, duh. Um, It's interesting because board trustee Michael Jans proposed a motion that would request referendum questions about the curriculum on the municipal election ballot. And we actually had an entire podcast episode with him about this idea of making a referendum about education issues. You'll notice that this is a different question than what we talked about in the episode and decided wasn't a good idea because it was about, you know, the intrinsic rights of students. This is more about just like, hey, let's do some political football with the curriculum. If the province can do it, so can I. So cool motion. (laughs) That is your couple minutes municipal election rundown. If you want more of this, you don't have a say. I'm dictatorial in the content of this podcast, and I'll do whatever I want in the future. But I hope you enjoy it. And if you would like to read it every week, you should subscribe to The Pulse. You can make your own choices by subscribing to any number of Taproot Roundups. They give you all the content curated exactly how you want it. Okay, I got the plug-in for Taproot Edmonton right there. But, you know, Taproot Edmonton isn't the only one helping this podcast run. No, with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Is This For Real? A podcast about various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, called Breaking the Blue Wall, host Omar Salafu explores anti-black racism and policing and tells stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters and future seasons on Patreon. And that's all for this week. Um, It was a great week. Best week. 
don't know where I'm going here. Leading into the best summer ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, as we are recording this, it is June 10th, which means everything is open for business. We're in stage two. When you hear this, dear listener, I will have had my second dose. I've got it at 9.50 a.m. on Friday. So excellent! exciting things are happening. Exciting things can happen for you too. But if you first dosers don't get out and get to that 70%, we can't have the rodeo, which is critically important to us at Speaking Municipally. I cannot emphasize how important it is that we have the Calgary Stampede. <laughs> I'd settle for some indoor dining with friends. Like, isn't it insane that you can go to a restaurant with a whole bunch of other people, but you can't have people over to your house? Movie theaters are open. I want you, dear listener, to get a piece of graph paper and, you know, just draw the seats in a movie theater and fill in 33%, which is the capacity that movie theaters are allowed. Yeah. And just try and figure out if there is any way to space it out more than you can space in your own dining room. Not possible. Not possible. We leave these enterprising questions for another week. Uh, we will leave you at the end of this episode this week with the sounds of Rick Comrie for mayor. Um, it's a challenge for listeners who have watched the TV show Superstore. Is it Glenn the boss or is it a candidate for mayor? Who knows? It's impossible to tell. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Hi, I'm Rick Comrie, mayoral candidate. Misplaced federal policy supported by your city council has led to the erosion of your rights and freedoms. Join me to ensure that Edmonton remains the people's city. Vote for Rick Comrie. The podcast is now a campaign <laughs> ad for Rick Comrie. <laughs>